there's a lot to be said when Facebook goes down and everybody's reaction is to go to Twitter to tweet about Facebook being down. Like that, it is a junkie mentality. There's a lot to be said. And, you know, tools like to go back to this notion of hostile design, tools like Instagram are designed and built to keep you staring at yep. it. That is their model. Yeah. They aren't there to just let you see your friend's stuff. They are there to let you see your friend's stuff and make you stay there as long as they can. Get away from this stuff. Go outside. Have real conversations with people. Welcome to Chasing Leviathan. I'm your host, PJ Weary, and I'm joined here today with Michael Feenan, user experience and analytics junkie, who, besides working in the field, also hosts a podcast, the Drunken UX Podcast. Uh, Michael, great to have you on the show. Hello, everybody. <laughs> you, you call me a, a junkie. The the real per, the real thing is I'm sort of an accidental web developer. Is <laughs> that maybe the other way of, of placing that? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate. I mean, that's I took that from your your website. Um, I appreciate oh, I'm sure, that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I write all kinds of crap. It's all right. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, it's always better to have an interesting introduction than just like yeah, here's the introduction. And um, I mean, we've we've toyed a lot with and my own digital agency uh, titles because no one wants to read co-founder one more time or uh, you know calling yourself CEO when you have like six people in the company is just I mean even if you are you know no just just don't so uh, we went my official title is senior web developer so if that doesn't tell you (laughs) nothing at all about what I do then I I don't know what else to say yeah yeah. Um, and today we're gonna cover how does digital user experience shape us as humans every day and I'm really excited about this topic every day in your sleep yeah. when you're driving down the road it does not matter it is absolutely it, it's an infection almost that uh, even when you're not thinking about it you're thinking about it yes and it's really crazy too uh i felt the need to limit it with digital right because we could go into and his name escapes me escapes me it's norman something for um uh, everyday design Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Donald yes. Norman. And uh, I, was, I was trying to think of like Norman, and the, the first thing to give you an idea of how my yeah. brain works is like Norman Bates is not the right <laughs> answer. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> that would be great. I, I would hate to see his user experience. Not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, Michael. Uh, obviously, you're a senior sure. web developer. Um, what got you first interested in uh, user experience? Yeah, I said I'm, I was an accidental web developer. I, I started building websites when I was a kid. Um, and to say that, like, I'm 39 this year. I'll be 40 next year. When I was a kid, it was the 90s. So we're talking about, you know, Angel Fire and GeoCities and, like, editing stuff in literal plain HTML yep. and uploading it in, in little text boxes and stuff or over FTP. And I, I discovered this whole world of, like, I can make a thing and just put it out there and I can make it be whatever I want to. I am not an artistic person. Um, 
I, I I can I enjoy photography. I'm okay at that, but like I can't draw. I can't paint. I'm I own guitars. <laughs> I, I don't make music, but I do own guitars. Um, my brain doesn't work that way. But when I discovered this idea that I can go like put together a website and it's just a matter of writing some code and it makes things look like things, I got real excited about that. Um, I was got 16, I think, when I made my first website around 1996, 97 at that yeah. point. You know. The the web was like the new thing. Yes. You just started getting it in classrooms. You know, this notion of like Wikipedia wasn't a thing. Google was literally just a search box. I think like, that's it, like it, right it around like a else. back rub or whatever they first called it. That's pretty close. Yeah. 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 Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, I was always a computer guy. And when I got out of high school, I thought, well, I like computers. I should build them. And I went into electronics engineering and discovered very quickly that, no, I did not want to do that. <laughs> I did not want to read schematics the rest of yeah. my life. Um, and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and, and she says, well, why don't you go do what you love? Which, at the time, was not building websites. It was theater. Okay. Um, and so I moved back home, or in, into the area anyway, I just signed up to, I was like, there's a college near me. I'm just going to go there. So I stay in school and I signed up for a communications degree and got into the theater department there. And that's what I majored in. My, my degree is a bachelor of arts in communication um, with an emphasis in theater uh, of all things. But I did know, uh, I was smart enough to know at the time, like I, I love theater. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, and I also wanted to eat. That was a very important life goal for Michael was to eat. And if you're in theater, that can be a challenge sometimes. Not feeling the starving artist vibe, huh? Yeah, that was not kind of my jam. And so I always kind of wanted to make sure that I had uh, some some kind of good, hard skill in my back pocket. My, my dad uh, was a, a contractor construction. Um, I did a lot of like very hands on carrying shingles up to roofs, scraping floors, like all of that kind of hard stuff um, that helped to pay things for a while. But what I ended up getting into at that point was radio. Mm. Radio is performance in, in its own right. Um, I actually made money doing it. And it came down to one phone call, uh, or two phone calls, rather, four, four hours apart on the same day. One offering me a job at a radio station, and I had applied for a web development position because I had, throughout college, kept up with that yeah. just on the side. It was a great way uh, for somebody in the early 2000s to get you know, free entry to bars, concerts, things like that, designing posters, sites for bands, yep. getting in with those kind of folks. And I was good at it. Like, it was something that I enjoyed that I, I was good at. But I, even in the early 2000s, a job as a web developer didn't feel like a real thing very much. There was You couldn't go to school for it. There wasn't really any training for it. It was just something some people did. Um and I got those two phone calls, and the web development job paid $10,000 more a year. And so I just went, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, and now here I am. This is a solid – I did the math here recently, 15, 16 years later. Um, I'm – with my second organization, I've only been through two different places, um, uh, six years uh, as the director of web marketing for a university, and then uh, I've now been senior web developer for the company I'm at now for nine, uh, ten years next February. So that's kind of 
the journey Michael took yeah. throughout that. That's quite the journey. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's long and fraught and uh, I'm, but I'm glad I did make the right choice. And the, the neat thing about it is, you know, I, I, I love education. I love talking to people. Um, you know, our show is very heavily centered in professional development, learning and figuring out how to get better at things. Um, and I, I tell people all the time, cause when I, talking to university or to a class or something like that, they ask, you know, well, what, what do you look for? What should I study? What all of these things. And I consistently tell people communications is the degree. It is the Swiss army knife. Mm. I can teach you math. I can teach you to code. Yeah. I can teach you how to build a website and all yep. of this. I can't teach you how to work with people. That's something you have to do through trial, do through process. And when you get that communications degree, yeah, those group projects, they suck. They're terrible. You hate them, whether you're good at them or bad at them. Everybody hates those things. But if you know how to write, if you know how to talk and get a point across, I have worked in marketing departments. I have worked in IT departments. One of my greatest strengths has been my ability to communicate with all of those people people on equal footing. Yeah. And I couldn't do that without that background. The theater stuff goes out the window. Like that was an emphasis. So I took more classes in that than other things, but my core was in communication. Mm -hmm. And so just throughout that process and over the years, you know, I got into speaking at, uh, conferences. Um, I got to do a, a really fascinating uh, deal on copyright and and uh, uh, licensing and stuff uh, at an, an organization that's based out of Denmark and got to fly out there and, and see that, you know, whole different part of the world through this process yeah. because I could communicate and I could communicate in a way that. They could lift me out of can. I'm, I'm a Kansas boy, born and bred, like middle of the country, no, no water around me, um, I, never traveled. And here I am flying overseas to talk to people about like how we use other people's stuff in the web space and things like that. So that's sort of the background of me, yeah. I guess. Um, that's I, there's more, <laughs> but I don't think it's important. Yeah. Oh, I mean. I am. I'm sure we could go the full hour. Like uh, this has already been great. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I can talk about myself. Let me tell you. Um, one, I I felt like Obi Wan Kenobi. It's like GeoCities. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. I don't. Really, I don't remember Angel Fire, but I remember GeoCities, and I think it was kind of even on the way out. Uh, I'm geocities.com yeah. slash television city slash set slash 2052. <laughs> that was my very first website. I actually built I, one on GeoCities. Yeah, I remember this. I should get it tattooed on me at this point. <laughs> like the fact that I still to this day remember that URL. It was a Star Trek website if anybody's interested. Oh, there you go. Is it still up? That's the real question. <laughs> um, if you go to archive.org, there is yes. a version of that site up. It is not complete. It is missing a few things, and it is not the earliest version of that <laughs> site. Um, there was a an iteration yes. that was earlier, but you can also see, or at least I see, because I remember the journey. Like the, the version that's there, I see. Like I was using a JavaScript applet to like prompt users for information and use that to dynamically like change stuff on the yeah. page. This was 1998 by yeah, this yeah, point. Yeah. I was doing an, a Lacars interface with an image map. Um, we had web rings, you know, and all that. We were doing. Um, 
DHTML and uh, the God, what was the VRML? I think was the the 3D modeling oh, okay. uh, language of the of the wow. era, and you could do little app Java applets that would render like a starship in 3D. You could spin around and look at. Okay, and all that's this. cool. Yeah. Uh, so like like we were way yes. ahead, way ahead of the times at that point. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, how much when you're a kid, you can spend so much time and uh, attention and effort. And then you don't realize what a gift that is until you're an adult and it's gone because you have to pay the bills. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, go ahead. And, uh, one of the, the challenges when you become a professional at yes. this, I, I put a lot of care and attention into what I do at the same time. There are a lot of requests that come across the desk that it's just like, just get it done. Yep. Just do the ticket, punch the punch the list on it, hit your check marks, get the button put in the yep. right place, put the form on the right page, whatever. And it's like, it's ugly. I don't care. It, ugly is not my yes. problem. That's that's something else, you know, or the wording is awkward. OK, so that's the wording yep. they wanted. I can choose to push back. I, I and I do occasionally. Like I will say, "Ooh, do we want to do yeah. this?" And then sometimes it's just like, "Man, I just I can't. Yeah. I have to. I have to get through this to get to the stuff that I need my social capital yes. in." Yes, um, that's that's a really important phrase in this industry. Of when you work at a large organization, you have to pick and choose some of those fights because you can burn a lot of goodwill yeah. fighting petty things yep. and then when the when the big important right. thing comes up now nobody wants to hear you out nobody wants to take time with you because they're exhausted by you and i am really good at exhausting people <laughs> if yeah, I you don't to. want to be the difficult guy and i and i do appreciate that you you mentioned this i'm not the best coder i'm self-taught i can get done what i need to get done but i have been praised several times as a coder by people who don't understand coding because I delivered a product that worked for them and I understood their needs. And yeah, yeah. for me, I'm like, I'm the whole team, right? And we're a small digital agency and it, it's amazing. Um, and I think you'll feel this pain. I had a friend who works at a large software company and he heads up a small team and he's a developer himself. Uh, he asked a guy, they do uh, internal stuff. He asked a guy to write an automa uh, automated Python script to install uh, stuff on people's computers. It should right. take like two to three hours. And the guy uh, works on it all day. It's like, hey, I need more time tomorrow. He's like, uh, okay. Two, three days. And he comes back. It's not automated. It's a whole GUI with like 20 different options so that the user can pick all the different <laughs> things he needs. And it's like, impressive work. You did a really good job. But it doesn't fit what we need, you know, and it's just like not what yeah. I <laughs> way over engineered, does not even accomplish what we need. And um, it's just uh, that that whole idea that communication uh, and understanding where people are coming from and what they need versus just like what you want to build, which is kind of the painful part. Right. Yeah. Like even as you were talking about um, you're building your GeoCities website, you're like, <laughs> I get to build what I want. Versus when yeah. you're building what the other person wants and you're just like, are you okay? I guess this is what you want. Like, 
It's now I'm in the the territory of the cobbler's children don't have shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've I've got a couple different things I'm working on. One of which is a complete redesign of our our show's website, and I'm like it's like carving out the time to do that. You know, it's like when you spend all day already doing that. It's like now I need to spend my evenings oh, doing yeah. it. It's like uh. or. Hear me out, Squid Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. My uh, my our Candigo Productions website is just a stub. It's just a single page with like links to our podcast, so that we have it. And I'm like, I'll eventually come back to this. Like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. true. Um, the in, the these 15 years have been really crazy. I mean. This industry has been crazy since its inception. We're obviously still just getting out of the infant uh, stage with a lot of this stuff. In the 15 years of your working in this industry, what are the biggest changes that you have seen? Oh, uh, biggest changes that I've seen. One is, I think, just in the last couple of years, the emphasis on privacy, I think, is huge for mm-hmm. us. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, if if, if you do not uh, choose privacy, privacy will be forced upon you. Um, whether that's, you know, organizations like Firefox shutting down, you know, third-party cookies and just saying, yeah, no, yeah. no, we're not letting that through anymore to, uh, you know, organizations like the EU coming out and saying, GDPR, bam, have fun. Um, here's a bunch of stuff you have to do, but no guidance whatsoever on how to do it or anything or um, cookie compliance. Hey, can't just force cookies on people, but every UI that you run into is going to be different, and and they're going to try to obfuscate different features and em- employ them differently. But now we've got CCPA, the California Consumer Protection, uh, whatever Act, uh, I think yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. the acronym, which is bringing over a lot of very GDPR type rules to privacy. And if you do any kind of business with people in California, yeah. even if you're not there. You may be on the hook for it, Um, but that's good. Mm. Like this is a good thing because I think it's, it's puberty for the world we're in. You know, if you think about where we came from, you know, 25 years ago when I built my first website, um, the web now is not that different. The tech of the web Mm. is not that different. I had a whole conversation recently about static site generators. Static site generators are the new hotness where you have some JavaScript that runs when you upload a file or commit something to your repo. And what it does is generate a literal HTML file with everything in it and puts it on a server because static HTML is very lightweight. It serves easily. It takes no resources, no database, no extra stuff. Very popular approach. I built a site using a static site generator in 2001. It it used a CMS called News Pro, and it was a a Perl uh, script that ran out of a thing we called CGI bin. But it was literally a static site generator. That's what it was. It was architected a little differently, but the process was identical. Uh, And... So it's like everything old is new again. These tools, oh, well, we're going to do everything with React and Node and server-side JavaScript. Cool. Server-side JavaScript is no different than any other server-side language that we've had for decades now. Yeah, the semantics are different. The idioms are different. That's fine. That stuff is remarkably unchanged. Yeah, it really is. Our, our, des- 
our design techniques have changed yeah. and have been maturing. Um, you know, our understanding of things has changed a lot. Uh, we've got a lot more data than we used to have that we can act on. But I see us in a moment of puberty. Yeah. Because what's really happening is we are growing uncomfortably into how do we adapt to privacy rules that are inconsistent across you know everything and and what is right and wrong right. Um, from an ethical standpoint in that arena how do we approach accessible development and make sure the things we build can be used by everybody if you go down to your local downtown and buy a plot of land and you want to build a building there for your newest business guess what Codes enforcement happens. Yep. They come in. They check your sprinkler system. They check the size of your doorway. They make sure how many stories you have. And if you have three, you have uh, an elevator. Is your parking uh, uh, correct? Do you have curb cuts at your intersection? That's more of a city thing. But all of these affordances, all of these different parts of the process are codified into our creation process. The web has none of that. I love that you brought that up and you used that example because... Uh, I've been thinking through a lot of these issues in terms of digital real estate that we're kind of just everything's unzoned and it's just starting. We're starting to understand uh, what rights people are allowed. I mean, it, so for the way I think about this, it's come up in Twitter. It's like, OK, what are you allowed to say on Twitter? Who decides what you can and can't say on Twitter? And mm -hmm. uh, it's becoming very apparent that if you ban someone from Twitter, that you can actually be cutting off some of their livelihood. Now, perhaps they deserved it. Like I'm not, I'm not necessarily getting on either side of the the debate there. What's what sure, I sure. think is important about this is realizing uh, that we don't even understand the real debate at this point. Because most of the time, it's just it's like, well, it's their it's their company and they do it. It's like it's pretty clear that Google and Twitter are becoming in many ways like public utilities. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a, when you think of it from a digital real estate and, uh, and it's the same thing you're talking about with like, I mean, you have to have, uh, you can't have to be handicapped uh, accessible if you're going to be a public business, right? Uh, most web developers I know don't even really understand accessibility standards. It's something that we've been putting a lot of effort into, uh, or, or trying to put more effort into because it's, uh, the tools are still pretty, uh, infantile for that. Honestly, yeah. and it's not uh, and trying to get clients to understand it. And uh, so I, I love that use. Um, and I think uh, I think I, I, don't, I, I love that we have that kind of parallel thinking in terms of uh, using a digital real estate model. Um, yeah, I, I frequently go back to these kinds of metaphors because there is so much, whether that's you know, uh, if I use words like waterfall and agile, yeah. right? Like these are methodologies we use to approach a web project and build a site, right? If you are doing construction, physical construction of a building, yeah. that is waterfall. That is always waterfall. Yeah. That is what a waterfall project looks like from you, you go in and you do the blueprinting to the design, then you start, you know, framing, then you start sheetrocking, then you do electrical plumbing. Like every step of this follows on the previous one. There are no cycles. You don't get partway through and then move all the doors over by three yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not the way uh, that process 
process works. And so that's I, I like using these kinds of metaphors. Then we get into like lawn maintenance is agile, right? Uh, you come back, you mow that lawn every other week, you check your height, you see, you know what, maybe this summer we're going to put in rose bushes up front. We're going to move some stuff around because we think it'll make stuff look better yeah. and see if we get the making, you know, Pittsburgh greener award this summer or something, you know, but like uh, the, that kind of process in, in what I, I say the meat space world, right? The real world, um, you know, we have these different comparisons we can use. And what's really funny, and like you bring up Donald Norman earlier, yeah. you know, his work was foundational to industrial design, right. like design in the real world, how we make a product. Um, and we're starting as we're getting smarter about this stuff as in industry professionals, you know, now we're talking about, you know, actual processes. So we have accessible design. Accessible design is a thing. Yeah. Ethical design is increasingly becoming a thing. Yes. Inclusive design is a thing. Yeah. And one of the funny ones is universal design. Mm. Universal design gets applied in, in this language. Universal design comes out of the industrial design space. Right. This is an old analog uh, way by which we approach the creation of a thing. And it's got seven very clearly defined steps to it that explain how to produce an outcome that is usable by the most people. Buildings are a good example of universal design. Mm. Why? Because we are only going to build one. Nah. I'm not going to build three buildings side by side, one for this group, one for that group, and one for this other right. group. I'm going to build one building that is designed to be usable by the most people possible. Yeah. Uh, but we're learning like how these old concepts and old ideas apply in the digital space just as equally. Um, Universal design talks about space and affordances uh, for things like that. Like when it talks about, hey, making sure you build things big enough, like literally, you need to be able to get a wheelchair through a doorway. You need space. Now we're talking about in the new uh, WCAG specs for accessibility, you have to make sure your hitboxes are at least 44 pixels by 44 pixels to make sure they can account for variation in motor precision mm -hmm. of, of a user. And so digital space, but still very much thinking about it in the same kind of vein that it still applies. These techniques still very much apply. Yeah. I think, uh, the last time I saw it, it was something like it was in the, uh, I want to say high nineties for, uh, the amount of, uh, websites. I want to say like it was 99% that don't meet accessibility standards. Yeah, well, there's no way to meet accessibility standards. That's the other way to look at it. Like, it's not a failure when sites don't because it's a spectrum and it's a process. Accessibility, the, the tools we have tomorrow aren't the tools we have today. What has changed in the last 15 years of web development, last 20 years of web development? Man, everybody has in their pocket a little square device, right. rectangular device, that now has... Te uh, text to voice right built into yeah. it that you can point at a sign you're walking past and have it read to you immediately. You know, our ability in both digital and that like, that's a great overlap of like a digital and, and meat space right. example of how those tools change. And so our processes have to change and adapt to that. When we get better tools, we make better products. And until we have those tools, we have an obligation to build the best thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, you you've used it a couple times. Um, 
Meat space. Meat space. Yeah, I did, like that did word you, too. Did yeah. you uh, did you come up with that, or is that uh, did you steal that from somewhere? I, I, I'm pretty sure it's stolen from somewhere, <laughs> and I, I think I specifically stole it from my co-host. I think he was the one who used it before it. me. Um, I'm gonna guess. Like, I don't want to take credit for something that I definitely uh, can't prove. Mm-hmm. One thing I am pushing hard, though, uh, as something that. Quite frankly, I'm going to take yeah. credit for it, is uh, a philosophy called kind design. Um, and this is something that you're going to be seeing out of our show much more heavily. We just had a, a big whole episode about just this topic. But this notion of how we take all those philosophies I rattled off, accessible, inclusive, yeah. ethical, universal design, and what brings them together. Because we have we already have a counterpoint called hostile design. Um or as uh, some other folks, there there are some other like AKA um, dark UX is a way it's uh, referred to. Dark patterns is a way it's referred to, and it's ways that people use web techniques to manipulate outcomes yeah. to make users do things that they maybe don't want to do, um, and that is sort of encompassed by this notion of hostile design, design that is meant to not be good to the user in some way, shape or form. And so kind design is the philosophy we are pushing as sort of the umbrella for inclusive design is not accessible design and vice versa. They are two separate things. Now, inclusive design does include accessible components, but inclusive design would tell you, well, if you're doing user profiles, you might include a section for letting people define their pronouns. Um, that's something exorcism.org does. If you go to their website and set up a profile, they have a very, and it's, it's very well designed just in general, but they give you that option. Accessible design doesn't deal with that. They don't check that box. They would say, are the form fields, you know, do they have their input labels on them? Do they, are they uh, keyboard focusable? Is it clear when there is an error in them? Things like that. Sorry, things like that. So, Kind design is this notion of let's let's wrap these things up because you need to know a little bit of all of yes. them. And it's all geared towards the notion of let's make better websites that are healthier for our future. Because I, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of really bad stuff getting built. And there has been for a yeah. long time. But everything from phishing websites to – and I, I use this example not – for any political reason, but only because it is an example. The RNC, the Republican National Committee's um, donation form, is one of the most pristine examples of hostile design in action I've ever Interesting. seen. Uh, they they use, A, bad accessibility techniques, but they have language on it that is meant to deceive, that is written in a way to deceive. They are trying to trick you into making long-term commitments of donations. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um like everything about their form is designed to extract money from you that you may not want to give them. Mm-hmm. I may be okay giving you $20. I'm not okay with giving you $20 every single right. month, but their form is designed from the outset to make you do that, whether you want to or not. It's, I mean, it just is what it is. And that is bad. Yeah. It's, it's not kind. It doesn't come from a place of kindness. Uh, and I, so, and I'm going to guess here because of the kind of stuff. Um, cause I'm, I'm more interested in that RNC example because we've talked a little bit about the theory, but what are some specific examples? I'm guessing that, uh, to make this a continuing donation is a box and it's already checked. Right, right. So you go to their site. Now they have since changed this for what it's okay. worth. Um, it is, 
and I don't know if maybe just because we're out of like a ma- major election cycle or something like that, right? But they used to have two boxes yes. there. One of those boxes said, uh, uh, President Trump, congrats. You've been selected as our end of quarter MVP. Join the cash blitz now and make it official. So they're acting like you have won something. And this is something that is checked by default. It's it, There's a name for this. There's an explicit name for this called sneak into basket. It's a dark pattern. It is a defined dark pattern that is designed to make you spend money. Um, there's a, another where they changed it at one point. One of the boxes said, this is the final month until Election Day, and we need every patriot stepping up if we're going to win four more years for Trump. He's revitalizing our economy, restoring law and order, and returning us to American greatness, but he's not done yet. This is your chance. Maximize or stand with President Trump and maximize your impact now. All of this text and then little bitty words underneath it. Not bold, tiny right. font. Make this a weekly recurring donation until 11-3. Yeah. There's, there are other variations that are like, President Trump is going to get a list of patriots, and your name is going to be taken off of it. Like, no, he's not. You're not doing that. That is not a thing that's even happening. You are lying <laughs> to the user. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You, you can Google, just Google uh, image search, like RNC donation form, and you'll get a bunch of these examples. Yeah. that They've changed that wording over time, but it's like... It's dishonest, it's manipulative, and it's designed to prey on people who don't read every word. And one of one of the things, like in accessibility, one of the accessibility limit or uh, requirements is thinking about cognitive ability. Right. And if somebody can't read that and understand the action they are taking, which is why there are so many words packed into those boxes, yep. they don't want you to know what's happening. They want you to get bored is halfway it, through and stop reading. Yeah. Right. And is it, it and you see this uh, in other examples, right? Have you ever seen like a, a sign up form for something that is like uncheck this box if you don't not want your email to be used for marketing? Exactly. Uh, That's what, that was the example so, I was thinking of when I asked. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, do, do I check it or do I uncheck it? Like even I'm not sure sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's dark yeah. pattern. That's they are trying to get you to do something that you may not want to do. Yes. And they're like, we meet the letter of the law. Right. You have a way to opt out. Yes. Because the law doesn't say like you you can't be mischievous about it. Like that's not what they're doing. Well, and I love so, uh, another great dark pattern that everyone complains about, but it, it's we don't have the laws for it yet. Are easy to sign up. You have to call in and have a wait oh, time yeah. to cancel. Yeah, forced continuity yes. is, uh, is that uh, one, yeah. Okay, I have to tell uh, you this. This is unbelievable that you use that as an example because I didn't know because, I mean, I didn't go search this out. We just made sure it got canceled. So my grandma actually suffers from dementia, um, avid Fox News watcher, and she uh, just started in this last year. She started to go downhill, so we didn't know at first. And then my grandpa found on her bank statement reoccurring donations Mm-hmm. to Donald Trump. And she's like, I don't remember signing up for that. I didn't sign up for that. That's exactly what happened. That is really, yeah. and I mean, you're, you're, you talk about cognitive, cognitive disability. I mean, she was, her mind was starting to go. That's they're prey on exactly that sort of person. That's really Wait. fascinating. Actually. I got like, we are all temporarily abled and that goes towards a lot of things. Like, Hey, I'm I'm 39. Yeah. I'm relatively healthy. I have decent eyesight. Yeah. That's cool. Um, 
And if I break my arm tomorrow yeah. and can't use my hand, my ability to use a mouse has immediately gone down. Yes. And I'm now going to be using my keyboard a lot, you know, a lot yeah. more. I may, uh, uh, you know, my eyesight now that is good in another 10 years, maybe I get cataracts and I lose some visual acuity or I lose some color perception because of that. Like there, there are temporal problems and, and permanent problems. And we are all at any given point you know, susceptible to any of those and people we know, yeah. like ask, uh, go ask around sometime. Like how many people do you know who are colorblind? And the number will surprise yeah. you uh, because it's not necessarily talked about a lot, right. but I've got quite a few web developer friends who I found out over the last few years are colorblind, yep. um, which has been great. Cause I can go to them <laughs> and say, Hey, yeah. can you tell me if this is perceptible to Absolutely. you? Um, Cause there are tools, of course, to help with that. But in context, there's there's a whole world, and this gets meat spacey again. But um, board game design yeah. uh, gets dinged with this a lot. That the use of colors factors heavily into a lot of things. Right. But because they tend to land on like colors that we think are, are of as primary, but for us, you know, somebody with color blindness, different types of color blindness, right. that's difficult. Um, among us. Uh, got hit with that. Oh, red and green. Because, yeah, the thing about sitting, what color, who did you see jumping in the vent? Well, I don't know. They were gray. <laughs> like, so they've put out a, a colorblind friendly mode that applies the labels better, that gives uh, the ability to have icons uh, next to things to limit the colors that can be picked from. So, like, it is a very real problem that gets out, like, well, above and beyond um i'll i'll pivot just sure. there because i i love i love thinking about the web in big terms and talking about things like how stuff comes out of analog space to our industry one of my favorite applications of this is a communication model called shannon weaver if you've yeah. got a communications degree, you've taken COM 101 you know the, this mm -hmm. name because every class teaches it but it is shockingly absent from discussions about how we build websites, how we build web products or apps or any of those things. Um, because it, th this came out of uh, Claude Shannon and uh, uh, Warren Weaver, 1947, 48, they wrote this. And it was literally a model designed to help them understand how to make telephone communication better at Bell Labs. Hmm. Because things like long distance phone calls could be problematic. Yeah. You could have a lot of stuff that could make a phone call from L.A. to New York be bad. Yeah. And so they created this relatively simple model um, that kind of defines the process by which we communicate. It starts with a sender, goes through an encoder that travels uh, through a channel that then goes to the decoder and to the receiver. And then that is affected by noise. And then uh, later on, uh, Niebler, uh, crap, I'm not going to think of the guy's name now. Um, it, it was added later, the notion of feedback. Feedback loops got added to this because it was otherwise a very unidirectional model. Um, so uh, Norbert Wiener added feedback as, as something with, just to make it cyclical, yeah. which is bright. This applies so incredibly well to everything we do in web design that we aren't talking about it enough. And I think this comes back to this notion of I think we're still an industry maturing right. 
as we are finding these things and realizing we need to pick this up and apply it heavily. Um, as we talk design, let's you know think about your favorite website. What website do you spend the most time on in a given day? Please don't say Facebook. No, no, no. I was thinking uh, it's going to be. Um, uh, I'm on my phone a lot actually because I homeschool That's my fine. kids. So I mean, and it's normally in the app. I'm on Reddit. Uh, if I'm yeah, try. I'm trying to think like actual like when it comes to actual websites. I at this point a lot of it I'm getting on and I'm looking at uh, you know Riverside or I'm on uh, Google Drive or I'm working on a client's yeah. website. So, so I don't know if that helps so your question. Wait, no, no, no. Yeah. Like let's, we'll, we'll run with Reddit. Most people are familiar with yeah. Reddit. We think about web development, right? And it's, we think about it wrong. We think about it as somebody using a website and that is not correct. Yeah. What it is, is somebody interacting with a website to get information that was put there by another human being. Right. right. Everything about what we do in this industry is about taking information that originates with one human being and getting it into the possession of another human being in an understandable manner. This is virtually universally applicable outside of AIs that generate new Batman scripts because you let them read a bunch beforehand. Like, that's maybe the one exception. I, I love those. But, I don't know, have you ever seen Netflix by bots? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Those oh, are hilarious. Yes. Anyway, sorry. That... Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, this notion of I'm going to go build something, whether that's a site like Amazon, right? We think of Amazon, a human being has to write every single product description that goes into that website, yeah. right? And yet, how many times have you looked at a product page and not been clear about specs or features or some information that you wanted, size, color, you know, any of these things about a product? So, when you apply a model like Shannon Weaver to this, what you think about is you have a human sender, a human receiver. These things are pretty universal in the model. The encoder in this case is pretty straightforward. It's the bare iron, the servers, the you know the build processes, the uh, the HTTP packets that go down the wire. These are all steps in the encoder chain. Yeah. Um, the decoder for the user is almost certainly the browser. Yeah. It could be the phone, like you were saying, you may use it on your phone more if it's an app, because most apps are web-based. Yes. They're, you know, they're using, at the very least, they're using web APIs and all of that. But the decoder is something, either an, either a browser or something with a browser layer over the top of it, most likely, and then them as that. The noise. A lot of people might say, well, noise is something like dropped packets, Noise is latency on the servers. They're not wrong. I argue noise is every single thing you put on the web page. Every color you choose to use, every web font you decide to apply to it, every picture you choose to add to a page, every single element that goes on that page is noise that can get in the way of the user getting that information. You look at YouTube, the information that is being processed and sent over is the YouTube video noise every time they flash an ad at you in the middle of a video oh. in the middle of somebody's sentence noise the the comment section noise you didn't go there for the comment section nobody goes to a YouTube video for the comment section the recommended 
that's noise, that's stuff to, that distracts you, that's designed to pull your eyes away. Every single person who has videos in that who has designed their thumbnails with red borders and a pretty girl or a <laughs> giant word or something is all designed to draw you away from what you're doing. It's all noise. And so as we think about then notions like accessible design, inclusive design, this, this bigger umbrella of kind design, if we are doing our job right, our role is to try and minimize the noise in our interactions. It's not possible to get rid of it. There is no way we can eliminate noise because, like I say, everything is noise. Um, the here, Let me do a throwback to right when we started this show, sure. right? There is room tone yeah. happening around yeah. me. I use a very good microphone. I love this microphone. It has room tone. It picks up noise. Right. It is very quiet. Yes. And it can be attenuated very yep. well. But it's still there. Yep. And that's the thing about web design. And so as we think about like it and we've all dealt with this, like if, if you work with web people on web products, we can say these things. And I think they are actually very well understood, if not articulated well. Yeah. But when you do a project for mom and pop, uh, you know, studio art store downtown who has hired you to build a WordPress website for them and they want all of their art on their homepage with their hours, with uh, a statement of like loving kindness to the people of Taiwan. And it's like, that's all very well motivated and congratulations. But like lay people don't understand that conversion well they just think i need to have everything on the front page because it's all important um, have you i had this uh, i was gonna say ahead. have you read don't make me think i'm sure yes oh yes i've i've got don't make me think and rocket surgery made easier sitting right yeah. over on my shelf next so to the me. uh the C i mean immediately i think of the ceo button Mm -hmm. The, the literally the, and, uh, I think the author had a CEO who like walked into a meeting. I mean, obviously this is for our audience cause you have the book right there, but, and he's like, I had a dream that there was a button on the front page that did this thing. And it was after months of them developing the website. And then they just had this really ugly button that did, that didn't serve the purpose. Um, yeah. and so if I understand you correctly, Noise is anything that gets in the way of the purpose of the user, or in this case, the receiver. Yes. Um, yes. So here's an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, you, you, part of the problem is you're going to have cross purposes, right? Uh, yep. You're even from different receivers. So that's yep. part of the reason that, you know, I mean, even uh, I, I, there are certain YouTube videos that... I'll be honest. I go for the comments. So, um, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I know what you mean. I, yeah. I, I say that like an absolute, right. but obviously, yeah, there, there's flexibility right. in all I, of this. Certainly. It's, uh, and that's kind of an interesting thing because you see people mention that YouTube is actually technically considered a social network, which is a very odd thing. That's what some, how some people, they're, they're also the second biggest search engine. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, I did not know that. Does not surprise me though. Yeah. Um, the yeah. the other one is um, oh even oh one that really cut this fascinates me and I wanted to ask your opinion on this. Um, we talk about part of the reason I like being on Reddit versus Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and you might remember this. Facebook used to have a dislike button. Yeah. Okay, that was 
Not recently. No, not recently. <laughs> so what's interesting is when you don't have a dislike button, you tend to have, uh, you do tend to have a more tribal effect mm-hmm. because the, the stuff that rises to the top is the stuff that most people agree with, but it doesn't matter how many people disagree with it. And one of the reasons, or or it's just the stuff that people engage with the most as right, well. Right, right. Whereas not necessarily agreeing, it's it's a rage factory yes. kind of situation, which is different from. And people you complain about Reddit; they tend to be very critical, and they're like, "Oh, you're downvoting." But what it does is it lets people express, and it gives you a better idea of the community. And so what happens is you will have the only way you can really express disapproval is either commenting. That's where you get the idea of ratioing, uh, ratioing um, mm-hmm. or by yeah. unfollowing. And so by like for me, I'm, I'm curious what you think. Do you think of that as a dark pattern of creating echo chambers because of the way that the likes and dislikes work? I, I think organizations like Facebook require different rules they they're the black holes in physics right like we don't really know what happens when you get into that accretion disk and facebook uh, has is so large and so pervasive that if you and i've unfortunately done research into this like things like especially the last couple election cycles the the way the amount of money that goes into advertising and explicitly the way that advertising is targeted is so unique to that platform that other rules or the you know if you've ever heard like the laws of ux and things like this things that we would normally turn to for advice and guidance don't necessarily apply well there Um, because so I'm I'm not answering your question. The answer is, is, are there dark patterns? Um, Probably. Uh, Certainly privacy is a thing, right? There's with Facebook. No, yeah, that's an obvious one. So there's, there is a dark pattern called its name is privacy zuckering. So I've never heard it, that. And I love that. Yeah. Yes, that's what the pattern is yeah. called. Privacy zuckering. And it's all about trying to make you share more information, content, whatever, than you intend yeah. to. Um, an example of this outside of Facebook sure. um, is Venmo. Interesting. And the number of people that I see, because I use Venmo. I don't use it a lot. I'm old, so I use PayPal. Um, but... I do use Venmo once in a while, and I when I log into it on a rare occasion, and I see a feed of people's payments that I know, right. and I'm like, "A, I can tell on so you can you can see the ones that it's like, hmm, I I don't I mean it, it's not embarrassing, it's not illegal, it's not things like that, but it's things that like I don't I wouldn't want somebody to, to know where I'm spending my money at this time of day or something like that, like it's. In fact, I think that's incredibly dangerous, yeah. uh, all other conversations aside. Right. But, um, I, I think what Facebook does very well is hostile design. Uh, like their site in general is not it does not exist for users. It did once upon a time. Facebook in 2021 is not a tool for users. It is a tool for advertisers and other organizations. Yeah. Um 
and you can get into some real scary rabbit holes in terms of how people are using the engagement algorithms to uh, get data on people because of the way when people share things and tag people and comment. Um, remember the memes that were going around recently um, that were talking about uh, – what was the, you know, do you remember the first high school you went to or like the, the top 10 like questions? Yes. And then, and somebody inevitably was like, don't answer those questions. Right. That was trial number one. They're much better at it yeah. now. Much better, yeah. like to an incredibly scary degree. Like that was, that was a trial run. Those kinds of posts to see because it's, in, it's easy to build bots. Yes. It's not human beings that are scouring those posts. It's bots that collect that information and then start creating profiles on people that they can sell. But what you engage with, which questions you're willing to answer, how you answer them starts to create in wildly detailed like sentiment profiles on people, which can be used for advertising and can be used for much worse things um, as it turns out. And Facebook does not care. Oh, no. They don't care. And I'm not saying that as an opinion. Like, they literally just had uh, the lady that came out and was talking about yes. um, yeah. the stuff inside, like, the how little commitment they had to these things. And you can go into things like, you know, the genocide in Myanmar and what role Facebook played in, in that kind of stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. The truth is, if it if it's not about generating money, then they don't care. And... That's where a site like that gets dangerous, and it's not the kind of risk you run through, say, normal uh, uh, ad like ad tag tracking and things like yeah. that, and remarketing tags. Yeah. Like a remarketing tag, by any comparison, is like you know trivial technology by comparison to what people can do when they have access to networks of people that are volunteering information combined with AI. Um, and I think people don't realize that uh one how many bots are out there and how easy it is to build them oh yeah 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 no uh where this goes is going to be scary i think um one thing and i've i've this isn't facebook but it certainly has had teeth on facebook is um deep fakes right like uh, deep what we can do right now with deep fake technology is scary and it's not even remotely as scary as what we can do with it in five years yes. because it has evolved so quickly and gotten so good. And you can tell you can see a deep fake and there are ways to know if it is a deep fake that I can pick out because I've read about yes. it and learned about it and watched the examples and, and paid attention. But you know, John Smith next door, who, you know, is a financial analyst for a living and doesn't pay attention to web stuff all day, every day, who just sees the latest Tom Cruise video pop up in his feed, doesn't stop to think, why would Tom Cruise be doing this? Like, to him, it's real. And it feeds, it feeds the narrative. And I've, I, I shy away from talking about what you could do with it if you wanted to be nefarious. Simply because not because I think people are important enough to listen to me. It's just that I'm genuinely scared of like putting any idea in people's minds. And yeah, 
it yeah. gets scary. Like, it gets really scary. Well, I mean, uh, and let's just use as an example. I think everyone realizes this. You could take, uh, because I think everyone's seen deep fakes used for funny things to make presidents say funny things. And right. we already have echo chambers uh, politically. And so, and we've already seen misinformation go through Facebook. You could easily, I'm, and I'm sure it's already happened, have presidents saying things they didn't say. And do it um, on, and do it on purpose. And, and keep in mind, the worse quality it is, yeah. the better it passes muster with a lot of people. They don't want it to be pristine HD quality. Right. If it doesn't look good, it actually might be better. And here's here's all I'll say about like, don't you know? Think about how scary this could get. I hope you don't have any really angry exes. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about it. It's right. like, it, this isn't about bringing down the leaders of nation states. Yeah. This is about what this could do to interpersonal communication in general yeah. between normal people and the inability of a normal, plain old person. Somebody like Donald Trump and Joe Biden have the networks and ability to combat yes. that stuff. Yes. They have the people, the money in place to combat that yep. and, the, and the tech. But, you know, Jay Thomas across the street yep. doesn't have any of that. Uh, it's scary. And, like, it's it's depressing to think about real heavily. But it's one of those things just to come back to, like, this notion of privacy in general. We are in a world where this puberty of evolving web tech that is all around us, we're going to need some really powerful laws to combat it. And people are going to hate that. Yeah. They just are. Anytime you try to regulate something or say you can't do something, people hate it. The problem is we aren't even scratching the surface of how dangerous some of these things could get. It's because the technology if, is evolving so fast, which is also. Yeah. And I, so I wanted to ask you this. Um, and I, I think you've already kind of answered this, but I, I think it's a good place to kind of take the discussion uh, as we start to kind of wrap up here. Whose responsibility is it to enforce this kind of privacy and uh, uh, the ethical responsibilities involved in this? Man, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not the users, I, though. I really don't. Um, you know what I would like to see is some folks leading from the front. Our, our problem is always, with all of this stuff, is it's reactionary yes. and the legislators put the solutions out there and they're, and they don't know what they're talking in, about. <laughs> they are inevitably bad. <laughs> I want, you know what I want? Let's, I can use a real good sure. example for this. So let's talk about cookie compliance yeah. and cookie acceptance models, yeah. right? You've, you've seen probably every single version of it. They are all universally annoying yep. and people take advantage of that. Yeah. So they won't have a decline all button. They'll have an accept all button. They'll have a manage settings button, but they won't give you a way to decline. Right. They just want you to click the big green button and, and keep going and keep doing stuff. And every single one is different. Some of them have a little text. Some of them have a ton of text. Right. Some of them have detailed buckets. Do you know the difference between an advertising cookie and an analytics cookie and a performance cookie and a functional cookie? 99 people out of 100 don't. I do this for um, a living, and I could. <laughs> I, I don't know the difference between all four of those. 
Oh, we have arguments over like how we should be categorizing our because the company I work for is an international company, yeah. so we we have to comply with GDPR. We have to comply with cookie rules. So we have to do yeah. that, and we have whole conversations about well, is this a does does a a Facebook cookie is that a social media cookie or is it a marketing cookie? Yeah. Because it's kind of both. Yeah. Uh, so this model is unsustainable. And it, it cannot continue the way it is. It can't. We can't. Uh, um, so let me ask you this. And I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. I would, from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like you think because the technology is evolving so fast, it's not fair to put the onus of the responsibility on the user. I, I think it has to be because I don't have a better answer to how we could do okay. it. Um, but what I think we need is, so I said, like, leading from the front, yeah. we have similar solutions. They're called the Location API. They're called the Notifications API. Browsers have solved this problem. Now, granted, those are still a little opaque. They're still a little confusing. So let's make a better mousetrap. Yeah. But let's bake something like the cookie acceptance model. Yes. Make it a browser API. Make it something that is standardized so every site you go to is the, just invokes the API. And then the user, every site they go to, they see the same pop-up with the same options. They'll have a better idea. That makes sense. Yeah. It, it at least normalizes the experience for them. Is it perfect? No. But it is a step. It's much kinder. And so it's much kinder, and it reduces noise. Right. So, like, to, to bring this back to, like, my, my communication model, right. right? Noise is popping this thing up in front of you. And if the legal compliance says we have to do it, then we have an obligation to make it as easy as possible. And you can, you can look at these things at a very micro level, like per site, or at a macro level. Cookie compliance in general. Yeah. And part of the noise of the cookie compliance model is you can go to 10 sites and get 10 entirely different pop-ups and so processing all those it's it's a cognitive load to stop every time you see one and process that so how do we reduce the noise easy we unify the model yeah and all we need is somebody like firefox and i'm saying this loudly to firefox because they've been good so far about privacy at firefox yeah. give us this and Force, you know, Safari will jump on yep. board. Chrome will jump on board. Edge will jump on board. Yep. Like, it's one of those things. We can solve this problem. We just have to care enough to do it. And that's like, that's one little, you know, minor thing. But it's like, we need some of that leading from the front because otherwise, all we're ever trying to do is catch up. Yep. And the technology will always, you know, uh, Think about it. So here's a good example, right? We have had basically zero useful legislation. Think about it, or let me rephrase, right? We have legislation designed to target spam, spam emails. Yep. There are rules about how you have to, uh, you know, label them, how you have to have unsubscribe links and all of this. Yep. And guess what? You still get as much spam today as you got 10 years ago, as you got 15 years ago. It's still is rampant. We still rely on Gmail or, or Hotmail or Outlook. We trust them to filter all of that out for us because what is it? It's noise. Yeah. 
that's noise to us. And it, but it is an arms race on the tech side because the law can't stop it. The law is not leading from the front of that process. So all we can ever do is try to make technology good enough to get rid of it for us. Yeah. And that's an unwinnable battle. It is an absolutely unwinnable battle and we need a better solution. Yeah. We need somebody to step up with like a backwards compatible email spec that we can layer on top to start limiting that problem. Cause otherwise there's no way there will, we'll never stop it. As we wrap up here. And I think that this is a great lead into this question. Most of our, most of my audience is not going to be a web developer. They're not going to be able to spend <laughs> hours listening to, or thinking about, um, how the internet, uh, it, you know, exists with these dark patterns. If you had to give one to three pieces of advice for a user on the internet, what would, what are those main pieces of advice you would give? Get off of it as much as you can. And that's not a joke. Like, you know, I'm, I'm an analog kid. I grew up in a world without computers where my fun time was just going outside, you know, and, there's a lot to be said when Facebook goes down and everybody's reaction is to go to Twitter to tweet about Facebook being down like that. It is a junkie mentality. There's a lot to be said. And, you know, tools like to go back to this notion of hostile design tools like Instagram are designed and built to keep you staring at yep. it. That is their model. Yeah. They aren't there to just let you see your friend stuff. They're there to let you see your friend's stuff and make you stay there as long as they can. Get away from this stuff. Go outside. Have real conversations with people. Um, stop arguing. I'm, I'm bad, bad about arguments. Um, I, I love it. I'm good at it. Um, I, I enjoy the writing, yeah. but it's also super unhealthy for me. And so these last few months, I have tried really hard to be like, you know what? I'm not engaging. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to argue. If you want my opinion on something, if you want to talk to me about something and you don't care enough to sit down at a bar with me and, and have a glass of scotch or something and talk about it, then this is not a, a conversation that's important enough to have. Yeah. That's number one. Uh, just get away from it at every opportunity. Um, and number two, use a password manager. Yeah. I know that's like weird and has nothing to do with anything we've talked about, but go get I, I'm I have feelings about LastPass, um, but it works. But I, I'm a big fan of Bitwarden. Um, LastPass is fine. You can use it one password. Um, any I of these. I used LastPass get and had a, a horrific experience. So, uh, it, <laughs> I I use Bitwarden's uh, great. Uh, I use um, oh oh wait uh keeper password manager and uh keeper, yeah. yeah and that's because i use it through my business and so i think they're they have a really good team model but yeah uh definitely would uh, as a, Dip- another web developer would double down on that that's i love that you mentioned Different that password for everything it keeps you safer yeah. 
you don't ever have to remember stuff. If something happens to you, you can leave notes for people on like a doom. I have a doomsday file, you know, that has like things about how do you find these, you know, these things and here's where stuff is. Um, It's similarly, I'll I'll group this in. I also use a YubiKey even uh, for my two factor. Like you can't log into my computer without my YubiKey. Like it's just that extra layer of stuff. You can't get into my password manager without my YubiKey. So it, it just, you know, take care of, of yourself in that way. Um, and what would be number th- three? Um, it's boy for just the average Joe, I would say number three has to be limit yourself to an echo chamber. And I know that sounds hmm. weird. And I say it that way intentionally to be thought-provoking before I actually say what I mean, which is to say, limit your engagement to your family, to your friends, to the people who make the world better. It's okay to see something you disagree with and keep walking. Yes. It's, It's okay to hear something inflammatory and think... That was stupid. And then keep your mouth shut. Because one of the biggest problems, and this is pretty social media specific, but, you know, there's a lot of hate in this world right now. There's a lot of, of vitriol, a lot of acerbic language that gets thrown around, and a lot of lack of care for how what you might say will affect the person reading it. Because if you don't have to see their face, then you don't have to have consideration for their feelings. And that is unhealthy at every level of society. Yeah. I, I just said, right, if you aren't willing to meet me face to face and have this conversation, then it's not a conversation worth having yep. because it's, we are so, committed to shoehorning people into light and dark boxes, you know, red and blue boxes, uh, right and wrong boxes, that there's no space for gray. And especially if you don't know the person and you immediately judge them based on one thing they said, and you don't even consider their entire human experience. Like it is one reason why, and this can be sort of my closing nugget, so to speak. One reason why I love thinking about things like Shannon Weaver or, you know, Lasswell or, or Osgood, whatever communication model you want to go out and grab is they're all about people talking to people. I have been a web developer professionally for 15 years. I live my life. In fact, uh, the last nine years, I work from home. Yeah. Um, my job has been remote before it was popular. Um <laughs> And one of it was a hard adjustment because before that, even though I worked in an office and I still sat behind monitors, my thing was getting away from those monitors. And when I got a support email from the director of the biology department, I walked over to his office to talk to him about what he needed. I didn't just email him or just phone call him. I got up and got 
that human experience from that. And it's been hard, of course, you know, when you work entirely remote to like do that, to get that experience. But luckily I work somewhere that values video chat and like very, we, I, I genuinely love the place I work because they are so committed to these kinds of things. But, um, we really need to stop and breathe and remember that society is powered by people. And these models are all about how do we make people talk to other people better? Because even if I'm a coder, even if I work in the basement of my building with no windows and they keep pushing my desk closer to the wall every few days, like the end of the day, I'm still building something that is meant to help one person get information to another person as efficiently as possible. And I can't do that if I'm not talking to them, if I'm not out there, you know, go grab a book on UX research. You you mentioned Steve Krug earlier. Yeah. Don't make me think, yep. man. If you aren't a web developer, don't make me think is such a good book to go grab. It's short. Yep. It's very, very like accessible from a language standpoint yep. to help explain things like how do you make something that's easy to use? Yeah. And even if you're not the one making it, it can be good to like, think about those kinds of things so that you can then identify when it's something is being done against you. You know, when these dark patterns roll out, there's a site, darkpatterns.org. Yeah. Go check it out. There's a whole list of like discrete patterns. And once you know them, you start seeing them oh, and you start recognizing when they're being used and, and it helps you avoid them. It's like anything else, but you have to spend that time. So that's where I think I can, kind of bring all of this together a little bit, hopefully. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, I think, you know, you, you even mentioned as difficult as it is for people to keep up with this, it is, uh, as of right now, the user's responsibility. And so I appreciate that you gave the some advice on like, okay, how do they take responsibility? And so I really appreciate that. I, I know that this, Absolutely. this episode will be uh, immensely helpful to a lot of people. So thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. And, and if folks ever have like a question about it, DMs are open. Like I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, everywhere. Like I, I am very big on what I just said. Like I love talking to people. So if folks have a question about it or are interested in anything I said and want to learn more, by all means, reach out to me anytime. Yeah. Or, I mean, uh, look for specific topics in on your podcast. Some of them, they get more in depth, but there are definitely ones. Some are technical. Yeah. But some of them are, some are technical, really good. But some yeah. are. Uh, we, we do have uh, new episodes every other Monday. Yeah. Um, we are just about to wrap season four um so season five will kick off at the start of january um but yeah we've we've got topics ranging from like hard like you know hardcore development like javascript and css topics to very high level talks on um, user experience research and why accessibility matters and uh episode 99 is the one that sort of bookends to this episode really well it's all about what is kind design how how does it grow from inclusive design and accessible design and how do those things differ from each other and so it's a very abstract discussion on this subject so um, drunkenux.com yeah. um, at drunkenux on twitter uh, and we are all the places so just punch it into the search on your podcast app and you'll find us uh, has that uh, episode already come out yes right. 99 is out our our centennial episode comes out in about a 
a week and a half from when we're recording now, yeah. um, end of October, and that that's episode 100. And then I have to figure out in four episodes what my season finale is because it's like, man, <laughs> I have to go from 100 to a season finale, and I feel like I have to celebrate 100. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I got to I got to come up with two good things four episodes apart. Well, uh, so uh, for anybody listening, we will definitely provide a link to episode ninety nine. Then, uh, if they want any further information on kind design, because I, I think that's a, a great way to follow this up. Uh, thank you again, and uh, uh, it was great to have you on the show. Thank you, sir, for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs>